From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello and welcome to The Freeman Report once again, which puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. It is Monday the 29th of January. My name is James Freeman and on The Freeman Report today we'll be getting an update on Tommy Robinson's demo in Telford over the weekend from somebody who has been directly impacted by the grooming gang scandal. The state of British farming is also a focus for today's show. As I've said many times on this show before, I'm genuinely excited by the scenes from Europe of freedom fighters and farmers uniting to create an unstoppable force to fight the globalists in their push for total control over all of us. What we do, what we eat, where we go, and even what we think and say. Um, my first guest today is award-winning author Sammy Woodhouse, who is a survivor of the Rochdale grooming gangs and who is now fighting for justice for those affected. Now, I don't pretend to have any idea what it must be like to be raped and abused by gangs of predatory men. I can only imagine what that must feel like and what it must do to you as a person. That in itself must be a horrendous ordeal to go through. And so it is no surprise that Sammy calls herself a survivor, because the truth is many who went through similar ordeals to Sammy are no longer with us today because they could not come to terms with what had happened to them. Now, if, like me, you struggle to imagine what it must feel like for those um, abused and raped, one thing we can identify with is the realisation that the state and all of its infrastructure that most of us have trusted to some extent all of our lives is not there to protect us. It seems the opposite is true, um, particularly in this case and in many other scandals that we see going on at the moment. I grew up having a healthy distrust of government and authority, but this was always based on the premise that the government was there to do the right thing. Now I'm not so sure. Yes, people believe that's what government and the other arms of society are there for, to work towards the best interests of all of us. But that is not the reality that many of us have woken up to over the past four years. Now, the way I see the establishment now is a loose entity that has been created to protect the wealth and interests of the super elite and to manage us, the plebs, like cattle on a farm, to be worked as hard as possible for as little as possible. And when we all get a bit mad at these people posing as politicians pretending something different is happening, well, then they bring out the police to protect them and the interests of their masters. And this is the most shocking thing for me about the grooming gangs scandal, that the societal structures in place to protect those girls did nothing of the sort. Not only did they not protect these girls, but they actively worked to cover up the crimes. And in some cases, actually collude with those committing the crimes. Children's services, the police, councils, 
politicians of all caliber from local councillors to mayors all the way up to those in Westminster all of them are culpable what this whole sorry tale shines a light on is a rotten core at the heart of many of our pillars of our society and importantly it shows us another example of how the people charged with running the show those in Westminster are only interested in protecting themselves and their interests which are fed and nurtured by a totally corrupt system the labor party is neck deep in this regard with with the grooming gangs um, because of the support that it gets at the ballot box from the pakistani community this means um, it is at the heart of the national cover-up but let's get this straight this is not some form of partisan attack on the Labour Party. The Tories are no better, and neither are any of the other main parties. What this shows, if we need more evidence of it, which I'm not convinced we do, is that our whole system of governance in the UK is corrupt to the core. The post office scandal, the contaminated blood scandal, the grooming gang scandal, the yet to be acknowledged mRNA injection scandal, <clears throat> and of course, the banking crisis and all the scandals around that all show evidence of how the system doesn't work for us, the people. That is how I see things now. And the sooner the silent majority understand this, the sooner we can start to take back control of our system. My second guest today is the managing director of a successful agribusiness here in the UK, and so is also part of a community that has been abused by the government in recent years. Abused financially, made to jump through ridiculous bureaucratic hoops, told that the issues of the countryside are not important to the rest of us, and now increasingly told to do less of the very thing that they are tasked with doing, which is putting the very food on our tables. Gareth Wynne Jones was on the show on Thursday to talk about a new campaign called No Farms, No Food, along with James Melville, who's also part of the campaign. He spoke of some of the issues faced by farmers in the UK and the ridiculous policies of our government. That prime agricultural land is being used to build new solar and wind farms, that farmers are being squeezed on price by the supermarkets, while the government offers little certainty on subsidies. And then there is the very worrying reality that the average age of farmers in the UK is currently 59, and that the government has been offering farmers cash incentives in recent years to leave the sector altogether. Absolutely bonkers. So lots to discuss after today's breaking news with Gemma Cooper in just a moment. Um, if you want to get in touch, as always, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, get yourself over to tntradio.live. Click on the chat icon, and then you'll be able to join in the conversation. You can even ask me questions, which from time to time I will put to our guests. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. Happy Monday. 
How are you doing? Happy Monday. Yes, good. You've got an action-packed show, haven't you? Great topics to kick off the week, uh, topics that absolutely do need analysis and forensic analysis with a TNT hat on. Absolutely. The farming story, especially, well, both the stories, you know, it scandals in a different way. Um, but the farming story, we've been covering quite a lot here on this channel because farmers are being de-incentivized left, right and centre in the UK, but of course it's the means of food production and you control that, you, you've got everybody where you want them. But look at the look at the uprising across Europe now, you know, the French farmers, the Dutch farmers, the German farmers, and I wouldn't wager we'll be seeing UK farmers taking more to the streets that, than they ever have done in the past with, with how farming is going in this country. Yeah, and it's odd, you know, the fact that the government have had this policy in place in recent years. Um, it just seems odd, really odd now, given that we know there is, um, you know, a, a pressure on farmers. Um, you know, the fact that the average age of a farmer now is 59 in the UK and that UK government has been offering them incentives to, to close their farms and get out of farming. It just all makes no sense unless, of course, um, you look at the big picture and the globalist agenda, then it makes perfect sense. Um, right, Gemma, what breaking story have you got for us today? Well, it is, a, it is what's coming out of the Middle East, and that's obviously Iran now has denied any involvement whatsoever with uh, the drone attacks on Sunday that killed three US personnel, the first fatalities in that part of the world as a result of the, the conflict. Um, and the US had blamed the attack on radical Iranian-backed military groups, this uh, you know axis of resistance, which forms lots of different groups uh, in the Middle East. Um, the Houthis are one of them. Um, these these radical groups, which uh, are, are backed by Iran. Um, uh, there was so much talk of escalation this morning when I was looking through the headlines earlier. You know, just before I started on the Dean Mackin show, that yeah, I've never seen so many pictures of nuclear bomb mushroom clouds. Uh, in, in, in news feeds, uh, even, well, obviously we didn't have the internet in the days of the Cold War in the in the 80s, but we still had a lot on television. But this morning I was really like, had to rein myself in a little bit from getting sucked into that narrative. And even I was seeing um, headlines of protect and survive, which takes me right back to the 1980s where, you know, we were at five minutes to midnight on the doomsday clock and now in 90 seconds to midnight. So, you know, Biden was vowing revenge on Iran and it was looking like it was all going to escalate. And we've got Trump wading in saying it's World War Three. But Iran has said, look, it's just in the last few hours, Iran has come out and said this has got nothing to do with us. We know that uh, the exam Islamic resistance in Iraq, which are part of this, you know, um, coalition of, of anti-West uh, militia organizations. We know they're behind it. They've said they're behind it. They've issued a statement saying they were behind it, but we've got no involvement in this whatsoever. And the actual quote from their foreign ministry spokesman said, Iran is not involved in the decision-making of resistance groups and how they choose to defend Palestinians or their own country. So it looks like they're trying to distance themselves a little bit from what went on. Um, it, are they doing this because they're worried the situation will go nuclear? Uh, can they see very clearly that, that the US is is very angered by this? And, and, and it's a good vote winner, isn't it, for Biden to go all guns blazing into the Middle East? Um, so they have they have said, look, it's got nothing to do with us. They do fund though these militia groups, so it's a little bit disingenuous to say we had nothing to do with it, but we'll keep giving them the money. It's a bit like having a naughty child and saying, well, I gave them the pocket money. It wasn't my fault that they bought the catapult, that kind of thing. Um, but they have come out, denied it. Uh, they've they've issued a statement as well. We we know that the the terror group involved has issued a statement about the fact. It targeted three U.S. bases and an Israeli oil facility. It's made no bones about that. What's interesting is Iran is denying uh, involvement and is keen to kind of take a step away. Now, obviously, with what's coming out of the Middle East, we don't ever know the official. We only know the official version. We don't necessarily know the truth. We know what we're told by a U.S. 
press releases and military uh, information. And we know what the Iranian government is telling us. Behind the scenes, it could be a completely different picture. But we have to take at least some sort of semblance of common sense, possibly from this statement saying that we're, we're, we're kind of taking a step back and hope it doesn't escalate. Because like I say to you, James, looking through the headlines this morning, it was, you know, World War Three, bomb after bomb. I was like, ooh, let's hope this is just scaremongering and saber rattling, and we're not looking at the, the the end kind of result of these global leaders who who you know don't necessarily represent the will of the people. Yeah, it is. You, you, I think you're right. It is very, very difficult to know what is actually going on on the ground. Um, you know, the fog of war is definitely very, very foggy in the Middle East. It's a very complicated um, situation there. Um, I guess if you kind of zoom out and look at the big picture, Iran has always been in the targets of um, of the US. You know, there were I remember around the time of the Iraq war when America was um, invading Iraq along with the UK and its allies. There were lots of rumors coming out then of this plan. And I'll, I'll need to do a look at Google today just to remind myself exactly who was behind that plan. But there was a plan and Iran was part of it. And I don't think that's gone away. Um, whether the US actually want to have a conflict with Iran, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a good idea because it's obviously not just Iran. There are other countries. It's like a bit of a tinderbox there in the Middle East. And, you know, if you throw a, a flame on it, who knows what will happen there? Um, so I who knows? I don't think they would want to um, start um, a war in the Middle East. There's too many interests for the West. But the West are certainly up to no good there um, with Israel. I think, um, you know, supporting even just the support of what Israel is doing there. And then, of course, we now learn about the new canal they want to build. There's a whole gas field um, off of Palestine, which I'm sure you know, Europe um, would like to get its hands on that gas now as well, given what's happened with Russia. So there's lots of geopolitical things going on there. And I feel, and this is just me looking at the situation and giving my opinion, because I don't know, like everyone else, is that there are these geopolitical things that they want to happen there. They want to put this new infrastructure, the canal, they want to take that gas and then ship it via the canal to Europe. They're trying to do that. Um, um, and obviously, you know, what Israel is doing is laying the ground for that, literally. Um, that's just my interpretation. It could be wrong. Um, I don't think the US want a war, but what they're doing there is is very, very dangerous for the whole world, I think, because if it does go off, um, who knows what will happen and where it will lead to. Well, exactly. And that's that's I mean, you know, you, you look at images of media, whether it's so-called mainstream legacy or social media where, you know, people are free to, to put their own kind of journalistic slant on things, even if they're not necessarily journalists. But the amount of, you know, trending I've seen of Holocaust, Armageddon, and that's on social media, the amount of pictures of bombs, you know, obviously the media love to hype things up because it gets clicks and it gets likes and it gets views and all of that kind of thing. But the more you focus on something, the more you kind of you bring it into the public consciousness and it's kind of accepted, you know, and that's that's where you kind of think, well, are we just gearing ourselves up for this, you know, potentially the end of the human race? Uh, but that's just my take on it. The more you focus on something, the more you feed it. But that's the news full stop. That can apply to any issue that we talk about here on TNT. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Gemma. Um, I think, you know, whether it's a positive or a negative thing, the thing as human beings, if we focus on in our minds, that is the thing that we're drawn towards because 
you know, if we make ourselves conscious of it all the time, then what we, we we start to see things in the world which lead us to that place. Um, you know, whereas um, if we focus on other things, then we we have a different path. Um, so, yeah, I think we have got to be careful not to feed the media frenzy on this, definitely. But at the same time, at some point, I'm hoping at the moment, obviously, we're focused on farming um, and our freedoms. But there's got to be some war protests at some point, surely. Um, if you look at the past, um, when the public has come out, um, that is something that will definitely engage um, the public if they think there's going to be a world war, because it affects affects all of us. And so at some point, I guess, we do all need to start talking about it and get out onto the streets. And maybe we'll see that this year. Um, I have spoken to people on this show who think that 2024 we will see that um on the streets but who knows um but sadly Gemma we've run out of time for our discussion today um look forward to another great story from you tomorrow right to the rest of you don't go anywhere because after this short break I'll be welcoming award-winning um author um Sammy Woodhouse is going to give us an update on Tommy Robinson's event in Telford this weekend and she's also going to talk about what's happened to her um, in Rochdale um, around 25 years ago and why she continues to fight now um, for justice um, for what has happened to all of the girls um, and boys. I was It was pointed out on the, the show last week, there are um, young boys involved in this as well. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done. And in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and 
brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Right, we are going to start today's show um, with a topic that I've been talking about recently. Um, I've had Tommy Robinson on in the last couple of weeks. We also had Raja on um, from Manchester as well to talk about the cover-ups going on there. And I'm delighted today um, that I've got award-winning author um, Sammy Woodhouse. Um, Sammy, um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Obviously, you're an author. Um, okay. You have been directly affected by um the the grooming gangs um i think it was uh, you know 25 years ago now um we'll talk about all of that in a bit but i wonder if you could just quickly introduce yourself and kind of i guess explain why you're here on today's show yeah of course so my name is i mean i'm one of the rotherham survivors that was exploited sexually and criminally um the child. I do have my own child through that exploitation as well. Um, I spoke out with Andrew Norfolk in August 2013. I named the politician Jahangir Akhtar, my rapist Arshad Hussain, police officer PC Ali, which started the Alexis J report, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. It showed that there was 1,400 people, children, just like myself, that had been groomed, abused, raped, trafficked, and some even were murdered. Um, and I have been an activist now for um, about 11 years. And the reason why I um, do a lot of work that I do is because it's still affecting me today and exploitation hasn't stopped. It's still happening. Yeah, and this is the sad thing, isn't it, Sammy? After all of the warnings that we've had, the reports, it is Hello. still going on, isn't it? Um, now, Sammy, you've been um, in Telford this weekend and you've attended the event put on by Tommy Robinson. Tell us about the event. What was it like? Hello, Sammy. So this is the first time I've ever attended an event like this. So I wasn't sure what quite to expect because when I spoke out and exposed... Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I can, yes. Tommy, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Hello? Sammy. I'll tell you what, Sammy, we're, we're, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get you on the phone. We'll call you on the phone um, so that we've got a better line. Um, so don't go anywhere. Sorry about these technical issues. We're going to get Sammy on the phone um, and um, that should sort things out. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a second. Check this out. Now, TNT Radio News. Can you say News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. 
The US has vowed revenge after several of its soldiers were killed and dozens more wounded in a drone strike in the Middle East. Israel has rejected Friday's ruling by the International Court of Justice and vowed to continue its brutal bombardment of Gaza in the name of self-defence. And North Korea has fired several cruise missiles into waters off its east coast amid increasing tensions with the US, South Korea and Japan. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Right, okay. Apologies for those um, technical issues. These things happen. It is a live show. Um, But hopefully we've got um, Sammy on the phone now. Hello, Sammy. Hi, James. I'm here. Ah, uh, fantastic. Okay, Sammy, um, yeah, you you attended the event in Telford this weekend. Tell us about it. I did, and this was the first time I've ever attended any event, so, you know, not just Tommy's. But um, when I spoke at an exposed Rotherham, there was lots and lots of marchers, all different marchers by all different people, which I couldn't attend because of my safety. Now, I know some of those people that went to those marches. They were survivors, they were family members, you know, just your ordinary working class people. Um, and of course, you, you always get a few people that, you know, probably shouldn't be there. But when you listen to the media, you know, everyone's branded as a football hooligan, uh, they're racist, they're far right, they're Nazis, and all of this. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect with this event. But when I got there, um, they were, it was a very diverse crowd. I think there was up to about 2,000 people that went on the actual walk. There was two separate parts to it. Um, some of those people were survivors, both male and female. Um, and again, some were professionals. And some were just, uh, again, yeah, everyday working um, class people. And um, there was, of course, people that turned up opposing, you know, Tommy and, and his followers being there. Um, and, and out of all, all my experience, this was the most negative for me because there was an organisation called Stand Up to Racism. I'll be honest, I don't know anything about them. They were placed directly in front, which I, I personally don't think they should have. I think they should have kind of just done their own kind of march elsewhere. Um, whilst the survivor's story was being shared, you know, we're talking about, her name's Corinne, she's an Indian girl. She's been through absolute hell and back. We're talking about the negligence, the corruption, how she's been failed. And whilst her story's being shared, you've got people from Stand Up to Racism shouting abuse, you know, saying uh, about they're racist and, you know, calling her Nazi and, and all of this. So that, for me, it actually made me really angry. Um, you know, I'm a survivor myself, so I know how difficult it is to waive your anonymity, to get up and, and you know, share your experiences, you know, this is going out to social media, so the whole world's watching it. So for her to be treated so badly, um, I thought was wrong. I actually wanted to go over and speak to them directly because I was doing commentary there. The police won't let me, so I was disappointed um, by that. But um, for me, it was nice because I got to meet people face to face and speak to them because, you know, usually I spend a lot of time with politicians, police, social care, because I do a lot of talks. Um, you know, I, I try and change policies and laws, etc. So when I do speak to a lot of people, it, it's, you know, usually behind a computer screen. So it was nice for me just to get out there and speak to people face to face. 
there were some people there that have been following me for a long time, so they got to meet with me. I also got to meet with Tommy. I've actually been talking to Tommy for a couple of months now, um, and I, I went to see him a couple of hours before the event started, and I managed to get a quick interview of him afterwards um, as well, which it was the first time I'd, I'd met Tommy as well. Um, based on my time speaking to him and at the event, um, I think the sound guy is he's never kind of, you know, done anything wrong to me in that time. I did obviously have some concerns about Tommy and the event, the things I've been told. I have raised that with him. Um, I would have a lot of information that, you know, just the things that he had a problem with me. So it's, it has been quite, um, an experience, but overall, I'd say a positive one. Yeah, good on you, um, Sammy, um, for everything that you're doing. Um, now, Sammy, the police, um, these these people um, from Stand Up for Racism, um, were the police, because, I mean, if they're shouting things like, you know, racist and Nazi and this kind of thing to people that are victims of um, some pretty horrendous crimes, um, now, if we flip that around and we had um, other people, say, at a, I don't know, at a, a trans rally or something, shouting similar things, I'd be shocked if the police allowed that to happen. Were the police trying to stop them at all? That sounds absolutely horrendous. So, yeah, and like I say, I, I actually felt really angry at one point. Because as I say, you know, she's, she's a survivor, I'm a survivor. Um, and I know how difficult it is. So there was a line of police kind of in between. Um, so, no, you know, the, the police, you know, to my knowledge, they didn't go and say, well, you know, you're not allowed to be saying these kind of things. Um, you know, anybody was kind of able to shout anything. Now, when they were shouting things before the uh, the documentary started, there was people, you know, on Tommy's side that kind of turned around. Uh, you know, they started shouting things. And, you know, at one point I thought, oh, God, you know, this is where the trouble is going to start. And um, Tommy got on stage. He shouted to everyone, listen, ignore it, you know, turn back down. And they, they listened to him. So, you know, fair play to Tommy for that. And yeah. when I spoke to him afterwards, I said, you know, there's some people that will come, they'll cause trouble and, you know, cause a lot of a hassle as well for the local business owners. What do you think to that? And he said, you know, I don't want people like that here. I want people, you know, just to come and, and support the cause. Um, a lot of people I spoke to as well, because I was expecting, you know, just to be Tommy's number one fan. And, of course, it, the, some of them was. But some of them were very honest. and said, listen, we, we don't agree with everything that Tommy said, but we're here to support the cause. Um, I think the kind of negative, the only negative thing I'd say on, on the Tommy side of things is there was a couple of people that were really, really drunk. Um, I personally don't think you need to be that drunk to come to an event like this. You know, if you want to go for a bite to eat, a couple of pints, then come to the march, you know, I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. Um, but, yeah, just as long as people keep it peaceful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, that that's the event itself. Um, I'm really surprised the police didn't um, manage this better because, you know, this is about them as well and their actions um, over the past few decades yeah, as well. So I really think it sounds well. quite inappropriate, actually, the fact that they've allowed these people to hurl abuse. Um, but good on Tommy for telling everyone to ignore them. I think that's the best um, way forward. Now, Sammy... Um, Obviously, you've been directly impacted by this. Um, I think what happened to you happened 25 years ago. 
why what what is driving you to be campaigning about this issue um still 25 years later well because things have changed i mean if you were and and this is evident it's not just you know me saying this we look at rotherham we look at telford we look at rochdale it's almost as if we're doing a copy and paste of what's happening um and we still have rapists on the streets. The police aren't doing anything. They're not arresting the politicians. Absolute joke. I, I could sit here all day, you know, kind of slagging them off. And I don't enjoy doing this. I work with people like the police and social care and politicians because I want things to change. But it's so difficult for me because I feel like I'm just hitting my, my head against a brick wall all the time. And, you know, some things are just really, really basic and standard of what they could be doing. First of all, you know, go and arrest him, get him off the streets, get him in prison. There's um, people, uh, survivors waiting years to even get in a courtroom. You're, you're considered lucky if you're in a courtroom. I only got to a courtroom because I went to Andrew Norfolk and started exposing it and naming out politicians. If you look at the council, they even admit to the select committee, well, we only started the Electors Jury report because Sam, well, I was known as Jessica then, Jessica named one of our own. So we have agencies that care more still about their reputations providers aren't being supported properly you know they're in in times where they need to be rehoused to safety that's not being done you have rapists that can apply for custody for our children through the courts and women children are actually being trafficked through the actual system government have known about this i was exposing it back in 2018 still there's no laws to protect children born from rape. It's absolutely shocking. That's if you look at criminal exploitation, survivors like myself who are being criminalised, we're still left with criminal records. We don't even have a definition for criminal exploitation. Do you know how simple it would be, Jane? A group of people in a room for a couple of hours, you come up with the definition, that's it, done. We're here 2024 and I'm still having the exact same conversations is what I was 11 years ago when I when I started activism. It's a disgrace. It is. It is an absolute disgrace, Sammy. Absolutely. Now, Sammy, you you said that you work with the police and 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 social services now to try and change things. From where you sit, where would you say the major problem is? Are the people you're speaking with in the police are they? you know do they see the problem and do they want to change it do you think this is a political problem now in terms of the cover-up because of course you know there is one political party which is i think um in, in in neck deep into this which is the labor party i don't want to make this a partisan political issue but it is true that the, the labor party gets an awful lot of support at the ballot box from from the pakistani community and so it is my suspicion, and I think that all the evidence shows that, is that the Labour Party do not want this coming out because it affects them, it affects their councillors, it affects their mayors, um, and it affects their politicians as well. Where where do you see the problem in terms of getting this resolved from where you sit, Sammy? Everything's about politics. From start right to you know the current day now, it's always been about politics. And I, I think there's problems with Tories and Labour. I mean, if you look at the Labour politicians, I mean, I exposed the um, Labour politician, Jahangir Akhtar, that was back in August 2013. He stood down. He was ranting and raving that he was going to sue me. He, he, he's not going to sue anyone. 
because I went to court and my rapist actually got proved guilty um, on that particular um, thing that I was saying. If you look at Jane Senior, she were all over the press saying she's a whistleblower and she wants to support her. She's tried suing me and all sorts. She's a well, she was a Labour politician. She stood down now. I've lost count how many times that woman has tried to have me locked up. And I'm not only person. It seems to be anybody that's speaking out. Um, you know, if you look at Labour politician Sarah Champion, I think Sarah's done some really good work and I was absolutely gutted um, when she did some of the things to protect Jane Senior. I can't go into details at the moment because one professional, Catherine Kelwick, has been now charged by South Yorkshire Police. She's another professional that I was exposing. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Tories, I think the Tories are just about as bad. Um, yeah, and the problem absolutely. Is, don't get me wrong. I think they are some good politicians, just like they are some good professionals. And they're as frustrated as what I am. But if you look at the politicians, how many of them are actually being investigated um, investigated for mm. committing sexual offences themselves? So why are they going to put laws in place to protect victims when they're just going to be going against themselves? Our government's an yeah, absolute very... I, I personally don't vote for any of them, but... Yeah, very well said there, Sammy. Listen, Sammy, um, we'll, we'll we'll work on those technical issues and we'll get you back on because I do want to speak more in depth um, about your experiences. But um, thank you very much, um, Sammy Woodhouse, and we will get you back on soon again, Sammy. Okay, right, thank okay, you, we're going to take, take a care. quick break. Thank, thank you, Sammy. We're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, I've got um, farmer um, James um, Peck on the line. Um, we're going to be talking all about farming issues again um, and whether I'd like to know from James if he thinks that British farmers will rise up as a lot of European farmers have done over the past year. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. For decades, I've been calling out the national and various state GOP committees for not closing open Republican primaries to non-Republican voters. It just makes sense. When they played in the Super Bowl, the New England Patriots weren't allowed an opportunity to determine who the New York Giants starting quarterback would be. And Democrat and various leftist voters shouldn't be able to influence who the Republican nominee for president or any office should be. Luckily, we have someone with the courage of her convictions to stand up and say this is wrong and it needs to stop. Merrimack County GOP Chairwoman Karen Testerman filed court together with some New Hampshire Republican voters today asking the court to enjoin the counting of undeclared voter and same-day registrant voter ballots until it can be determined whether they can legitimately participate in the Republican primary. Kudos to Chairwoman Testerman, and let's hope that the federal court does the right thing and protects the New Hampshire GOP's First Amendment right to freedom of association. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. 
This is the Freeman Report with James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. It certainly is the Freeman Report, and I am James Freeman. I'm delighted to be welcoming um, James Peck to the Freeman Report. Um, hello, James. Hello, good morning. Um, James, um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about farming today. You have your own um, farm that you're the managing director of. Um, I wonder if that's probably the place to start, actually, if you tell us about your farms and some of the issues that, that are facing you. Uh, we, we farm uh, just outside Cambridge by about three miles in the uh, main wheat belt area of England. Uh, we're farming 12,500 acres or 5,000 hectares. We always talk in acres because it sounds bigger. But uh, we've got 28 um, members of staff full time, another 20 members which come during the seasonal period, um, which it, for us is sort of July, August, September. Uh, we, we've built a business since 2003 when I started um, PX Farms. Uh, from scratch and uh, effectively we've been on a sort of progression of growth because that's the direction in which we've been told to go in and uh, diversified as we've gone along and now we've found ourselves in a situation that uh, England's obviously left Europe um, the European counterparts they're still receiving um, subsidy which they get to effectively put cheap food on the shelves the UK has the taps turned off and we're, we're down to sort of 25 percent of what it was and uh, we're, we're having imports coming in from Europe and other countries, which uh, we're struggling to compete with. And farming for is really now in a very difficult time. And I think uh, unless there's some change, uh, there will be businesses in the next three years going out of business. And 49 percent of farmers are now saying that they don't know if they'll be in business next year. And we've got uh, just over 30 percent of farmers have left um, the industry since 2001. Uh, when um, the government organisation DEFRA was set up, uh, which was basically the beginning of the focus away from production, agriculture, putting food on the plate and into the stores and going down the environmental route. And now it's biomet gain and um, we're talking about carbon and it's all focused away from food production. That seems to be the core of the issue is. Yeah, I mean, I have got farmers in, in the fam family, James, so I do know some of the issues. And I know that farmers, like a lot of other people in society, get extremely frustrated with um, politicians and with Westminster because they're forever fiddling around with all of the, um, you know, the subsidies and the regulations. And um, I think the accusation is they just have got no idea um, of the real issues faced by farmers. Um, James, what, what, I mean, what, what is the solution to this, do you think? Well, farming is generational. So, of course, you know, I'm one of uh, the third generation, the fourth generation started um, in farming, and that's how I ended up in farming. But there are many families, you know, we'll go back to doomsday, etc. So farming's been in the blood and has been a business line that they've kept going. The issue now that we have is that people are actually, um, the age of farmers are sort of above 70. Uh, there's a natural sort of change that's going to happen the government um, has had a swing. So effectively, we used to be on a system that you'd get £100 uh, an acre uh, of subsidy to effectively to farm and produce food, etc., which effect went back to the uh, to, to, to people, um, you know, buying cheap food on the shelves. They've changed that now where well, that's gone down to effectively £25. Now they brought out some new schemes and the new schemes are called SFI and they're encouraging people to not farm. 
So just to put it into perspective, we ran through the numbers last um, last week, and if we went on the SFI and got out of farming in, in, in the activity of growing food, we would be four times more profitable than we are today. And actually today of this year, we're losing money. So it would be better for me not to farm. And that is the, the issue with where, the, the, where we are. But if I get out, we won't be going back in. And that will be the case for so many. But the opportunity for normally would happen is people would naturally retire. Somebody would take the business on, whether it's a young person or whether it's a business like ours, and we'd grow. And then we employ people and the, the system works. Now there's an opportunity for them to actually um, go into a new scheme, put the land into environmental, take the money and uh, not, not contribute at all to producing food. James, what you're telling me is absolute craziness as far as I, I can see, because, um, you know, we already are not self-sufficient in, in our food in the UK. We need to import lots. Um, the the prospect of us importing even more and, 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 and maybe really struggling to get the amount of food we need just seems crazy to me. You as a farmer, do you think the politicians get this? Because it sounds like they're incentivizing the whole system to go down that road. Do you, do you think this is confusion by the politicians and that you know those politicians which are captured by the net zero narrative or do you think this is actually a concerted effort and this is exactly what they're trying to do i desperately want to farm and i want there to be a future for generations after me but currently at the moment I, we, we've obviously seen sort of troubled waters over the last 20 years in farming and, and the focus the swing of change but i've never seen anything quite like this where effectively, if, if I want to continue farming, it is to the detriment to four times the profit. Um, and I, I can't compete currently with that. So and we will be one of the larger farmers in, in the area. The the fundamental problems are that farmers are only getting one pence in the pound. Uh, so it's not a case of whether the food is the right price, etc. It's, it's actually what the farmers receiving in line with actually what the public are paying in the supermarkets. I mean, the, you know, Tesco's, for example, last year rep reported 2.7 billion profit. Well, I mean, that's extraordinary when you've got farms up and down the country which aren't making profit or they're not really paying themselves. You know, if they were to put, say, minimum wage into their related to the hours they did in terms of what what the amount of work they're doing they they their businesses would be losing money hand over fist it seems we've lost direction um food yeah. production predominantly why i am a farmer and i'm proud to produce food and i'm proud that is my contribution to 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 the public and being part of society and whenever there's a you know a, a fred who would you put on a noah's ark if you had to um you know choose and and the first two are always a doctor and a farmer so people recognize how important the role of a farmer is and it's a very natural thing growing food actually uh, in terms of farming it's a real base survival you know type of life and and most farmers that you know they want to um produce food that's that's their role the environment gets looked after separately um as it always has done because every farmer wants to make sure whatever they hand over is in better condition than when they got it and but nowadays the government seems to have a complete focus on not farming and which i think food security should be the highest priority especially with the amount of wars and unsettlement we've got around the world going on now even more so but yet they are they've come out in january beginning of january steve barkley went to the oxford farming conference effectively raised the amount of money that you could be paid to get, get put your land into environmental schemes out of production 
the net effect of this, of course, is you've got landowners now which are um, looking at terminating uh, tenancies with, with farmers so that they can then put the land into these environmental schemes and take the money, which is greater than the rent that they receive from the tenants. So the, 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 this industry is going to change shape dramatically quickly. And you only have to look across Europe. We've got people now up in arms, you know, with tractors blockading, et cetera, because there is such a disjointed of what, what the role of a farmer is and what they're expecting us to do. I mean, it's in the Times newspaper today. Every day there's now something on farming. Yeah. And the problem or the real risk, I think, um, James, I'm sure you'd agree with this, is um, I was reading this morning, the average age across the UK of a farmer is now 59. Of course, a lot of farmers are a lot older than that. But the real danger here is if we lose these skills, um, you know, they're not just skills that you could just start up again um, once we realise there's a crisis, are there? These are skills passed down from the generations. Lots of farms have been in families for, well, Gareth Wynne-Jones was on the show last week and his family farm has been in the family for over 300 years. So these skills aren't the kind of skills we can just snap our fingers and get back. Now, it was interesting that you mentioned Tesco there because... Um, I wonder how much you, a bit of a problem you think the supermarkets are because, you know, I think they are a wider problem because on the one hand, they're not even paying their staff enough um, wages so that they have to claim working tax benefits. So the the taxpayer is actually subsidising the, the dividends that Tesco is paying to its um, shareholders. But at the same time, they're also squeezing um, farmers like you. We obviously live in a capitalist system where market forces prevail, but this is a problem and it's got to be sorted, hasn't it? What what do you think the answer to that problem is, James? Well, the supermarkets, I mean, we, we all shop in them and we, we all have done. But of course, if you look at them, they came along, there was high streets, which were full of the, the grocer, the baker, the butcher, etc. And people went there. The supermarket came, came along, put all of that under one roof, etc., and the high streets have now emptied, they've closed. You've got boarded up shops or you've got charity shops or gambling shops in there and they've killed the high street. And effectively, you know, that the if anybody has had anything to do with a supermarket, they, they probably haven't had got anything pleasant to say about them. They've been a necessity evil for farming because of course they buy in bulk and have allowed uh, uh, growers to, to grow their business, et cetera, and supply them. But actually, in turn, what they've done is they've eroded all of the margins of what the farmer would get paid. They then said, well, we want to go to an open book policy. Let's look at what it costs you to do. And then we'll give you, you know, one P, for example, or, or, or a couple of percent on, on what it's costing. Th that's no way to carry on in a business. You can't run a business like that, you know, working on the historic um, foundation of, of left to by previous generations. Do you think there's a there's a commercial answer to this this problem in that um, you know obviously we've heard about farmers markets farmers farms I mean obviously that's that 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 can only solve part of the problem because of course the supermarkets are huge you know in terms of their footfall and their ability to serve the whole population um, but do you think there is an answer in there somewhere getting encouraging the public to buy direct from farms or do you think that that I mean how much of a solution do you think that is is that just a um, a very, very small part of the solution, or could that be a larger part of the solution? 
I, th- I think it's a, it's a lovely idea and I've got friends which um, have cattle and things and they do go to farmer's market and, and they've, they've done it and they're managing to get a better premium. But the reality is for somebody like me is I'm growing uh, wheat and, you know, if I grow 30,000 tonnes of milling wheat, the public aren't going to come and buy the wheat and then start grinding it yeah. up in a kitchen to make flour, et cetera. So that, actually that model doesn't work for me. Um, but, it, it, you know, for, for the smaller producers, it, 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 it's got a role. The, the, the effectively, I, I think at the moment what they've got to do is we are competing with Europe and we've got a twofold problem. Firstly, we've got uh, standards which have been put onto the UK farmer we're having to adhere to and they're quite costly, etc. But then they're importing on lower standards. So there's the unlevel playing field, which is the, the one of the main issues that farmers have a, a problem with, is that uh, we're, we're pricing ourselves out of the marketplace. Secondly, I think the government needs to go back to what was historically there with um, Europe. While we've got Europe is also subsidising the farmers and we need to go to the £100 an acre model. And until a better system is put in place and, and, you know, there are a lot of great ideas of what we could do, but it can't be done overnight. And I think sometimes it's about resetting back to what we had two, three years ago and then coming up for a better idea moving forward. So it is it is the subsidies, I think, is the big picture solution, um, which you're talking about, both because um, farms need need that help. Um, Is there anything do you think I'm going to come back to this this issue with the supermarkets, because I think it is important, though. Do you think the government could or should do anything um, to regulate price um, at all? Or do you think it's all the solution is all actually in the subsidies that farmers get? I, I, I personally don't want to have a subsidised business. I don't want subsidy coming into the business. The, the difficulty is we're in Ireland and we're competing against Europe. And of course, while they're all being subsidised, just cutting us off from that system and, and then introducing a system that pays people not to farm, of course, then everybody's going to have to go down that route because they're going to financially have no choice or they're going to go bankrupt because the businesses which are pushed on in the last sort of 20, 30 years, they've probably got quite big borrowings. They've taken on a lot of extra land. They're looking after a lot of people um, and, and they've got big responsibilities. And farming's quite a big network. I mean, it doesn't just stretch you know, behind the farm gate. It is looking after the, the, the fuel companies, the tyre companies, the engineers, the building trade, etc. It's it's quite it touches a lot of people um, in its activities of, of growth and and day to day farming. I think the the only reason I say we've got to go down a subsidy route is because currently that they don't have a a model to compete with um, outside of Europe. Well, listen, James, um, sadly, we've run out of time, but I'm definitely going to get you back on the show if that's okay. Um, um, Really, really interesting your thoughts today. Thank you for what you're doing, by the way, putting the food on all of our tables. Farmers are incredibly important. I think it really is time for the politicians to wake up to this back to front system that we've got in the UK, where farmers are being encouraged actually to leave farming right at the time when actually we need more farmers um ladies and gentlemen james peck thank you so much james um like i said i'll be in touch and hopefully we can get you back on at some point in the future all the best thank you right okay um please go out and make some noise for our farmers on social media and get those politicians listening um and don't go anywhere stay with right stay with us right here on tnt